When, when Jenny and I were younger, I put a lot of things in what I call the later category, like later. Like one of those things was kids. Jenny wanted to have kids after we had been married three years. I wanted to have kids after we had been married, you know, 20 years, you know, to work out some of the issues, you know, make sure we were really, you know, really ready for kids because, you know, you just want to be good as a parent. And so we actually had our first kid after seven years. So it's kind of like in, in between. I, I, when I was younger, I thought to myself, oh, I'm in school, Jenny's a teacher, like we're not even a full, like we're not making real money yet. I will save for retirement later. Like, can we put that picture up here? I wish I could go back to me and kick me. Now, for some of you who are younger, this is like, you should be thanking God you're here today because I'm going to show you something that could make you a million dollars. Okay, so $2,288,996. If I had just saved $2,000 a year from age 19 to age, what would it be? 26 or 24, age 24? and then didn't save anything else the rest of my life and just invested it, when I was 65, I would have had $2.2 million. Do you know how much I have saved for retirement right now? $5,000. <laughs> I've got catching up to do, okay? Another thing that I thought and I put in the later category when Jenny and I uh, were younger was travel. I was like, you know, when we're older, that's what we'll travel when we're older and, and we'll go see things. And Jenny, in her mind, she was like, I'm going to take you to Scotland because she had lived in Scotland and she wanted me to see Scotland. And, and in 1989, I got like five Scottish sweaters from the Highland, like beautiful wool. And then one winter when I went to put one on, it had holes everywhere. And then I put the other sweater on and it had holes everywhere. And all of my sweaters were eaten by moths, moths. Earlier this summer, a moth came in the house and I went after it, buddy. I got out the swatter. I was boom, boom. I about knocked the wind, the uh, light fixture in the kitchen. I about knocked it clean off, but I got it and I killed it. And Maddie was standing there. Maddie's my eight-year-old daughter. And she goes, dad, that was really violent you have issues. <laughs> and I said to her, you would too if you had all your sweaters eaten by moths. <laughs> I also thought that like giving and tithing and, and being generous financially, I also put that in a later category. Um, and Jenny and I, when we were young, uh, we volunteered as Sunday school teachers. And so in our minds, we thought that um, the little bit that we bought for our Sunday school class, we told ourselves, that's our, that's our tithe. That's our giving. That's what it is. So if you're like me, you've probably put things in the later category. Um, and you've said to yourself, I, I will give, I'll tithe, I'll do those kind of Christian things when my student loans are paid off, when the house is finished, when... I've graduated and I'm working more than just a babysitter job when the kids are gone and out of the house, okay? But here's one problem with that line of thinking about later. It doesn't get easier. As you go through time, it actually doesn't get easier to give or be generous. Um, one way this plays out is with churches. So let me let you in on a secret about churches. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a meeting in Jessamine County where some need in the community has come up and I've heard someone say with disdain, 
why doesn't Southland do that? You know, they've got a million people. They're huge. They've got tons of money. They should. Here's how it works with churches. The bigger you get, the more money you have, the more people who are coming, the more tightly controlled you have to manage money. The less freedom you have to be generous because there's usually a mortgage or a couple of mortgages that have to be paid. There's 50 people counting on you to make payroll. I mean, it actually gets harder to be generous. And I know sometimes we as a church, we like to think that life for us is going to be better when we have our own building and we're bigger. And can I let you in on a little secret? We're actually in a sweet spot in terms of church land. Um, In the last 30 days, not having a mortgage, not having a a ton of people on staff, we helped with somebody's mortgage. We paid uh, for somebody to go to a conference. And then because we had it, we said, you know what? We're also going to cover the hotel. Uh, We gave and sent an extra check to Charlotte up in Alaska, who's trying to figure out his missions, his second career thing. We did those three things in the last 30 days because of where we are as a church, okay? So what's true of churches, I want to suggest is true of you and me, and that is this. The, it doesn't get easier to be generous when you get older or when you get further along later in life. So it's true of you if you're a teenager and you're just living on an allowance. It's true of you if you're a college student and you're living on work study and ramen noodles. Mmm, ramen noodles. It's true of you if you're young and paying off student loans and wondering if you're ever going to make more than $15 an hour. Please, Lord Jesus, please make me out, okay? Right? It's true of you if you're older and you're in your second house and your two incomes, okay? My parents... And my in-laws have always been generous people as long as I've known them. My in-laws actually bought a house when Jenny was a kid in elementary school, a rental house. And that rental house was going to be part of their retirement income. But when their church built their first building, in praying about it, they thought, you know what? We're just going to sell the house and we're going to give all of the equity to the church. And they did it. And they, they do things like that all the time. They've actually given us two different cars over the years that were, you know, used cars of theirs, and they just gave it to us. My mother will show up at my house, and she will have come with groceries. I didn't ask her. I didn't give her a list, and she will just do that. And I know I've heard this from a number of you from time to time. Man, I wish my parents were like that. Yes, I know. I, 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 yes, because you know what? When someone is generous like that, and you're on the receiving end of the generosity, do you know what you're thinking? Man, that person is awesome. Everybody should be like that. That's how life should work right there. And you know what? When you're thinking that, you're right. Life should be like that. People should be like that, shouldn't they? It would be better, wouldn't it? And you think that way in part because that's who God is. You know the most famous verse in the Bible? For God so loved the world that he gave. See, love and giving are connected. They're connected. Hearts and money are connected. We see this in the Bible all the time. But pastors bless our hearts. We make money into some weird stuff, okay? So I want to dispel a couple of things about money that is not true and giving that is not true. You may have heard this, okay? So there are some pastors in America, and they usually have big hair and a very fancy suit, and they'll stand up and they'll say this. Brothers and sisters, you need to sow a seed of faith. You need to take that money faith and you need to put it in the ground. And God is going to take that seed of faith and he's going to 
blow it up. He's going to explode it in your life. And that thousand dollars is going to become ten thousand dollars. Don't you be sowing a seed of faith that's just a five dollar seed of faith. You sow a big seed so you can have a big. You didn't know I could preach like that, did you? <laughs> okay. And so they turn it into what I call a spiritual premium. In other words, you give to get. That's not how, that's not in the Bible. It's not how God rolls. It's not how it's supposed to be with giving and money and tithing, okay? The other way us pastors, bless our hearts, we tend to do it is we tend to do it this way. You'll get some guy and he's got the skinny jeans and he gets on his stool and he says, you know, you need to quit being a fan of Jesus and you need to be a follower of Jesus. You need to get your hearts in gear. You know, we couldn't make payroll last week and I gotta tell you, that says something about us as a church. And you're sitting there and you're getting a little lower in your seat. (laughs) And then he goes on and on and then finally you turn to your spouse and you go, get out the checkbook. And you're only giving because you feel absolutely guilted into doing so. Again, it's not in the Bible, okay? (laughs) That's what we call wackadoodle theology, okay? And so what is in the Bible? Well, tithing, giving, being generous financially is not about getting more, and it's not about guilt or getting God off your back. It's about faith, and it's about your heart, okay? And so I want to make a case for that today. It's about faith for today, right now, a settled confidence that God is big enough, and powerful enough to give you what you need today. Not tomorrow, not a year from now, today. So if they could put that bottom line up for today, uh, this is what I want if I could make a case for anything, and they'll get there in a minute. Um, But here's why this is important. You actually can't bank on being generous later in life. It's not wise to do that, right? Your circumstances might change. You might the company you work for might go belly up. There, we're at a tremendous point of change in American society. There are companies and institutions that have been around for 100 years that when you look 20 years down the road, you say, I don't know if they're going to make it. There's a lot of uncertainty. You may not, your spouse may not be around. There's all kinds of things that can change. Um, your health, you may not be able to work. I, we have these friends from Wheaton, John and Wendy. They are the sweetest, most amazing people. They are, John and Wendy. And John was a rock star with Marriott, which is weird because he's a Wheaton grad and an evangelical Christian, but he just kept going higher and higher up in, in Marriott corporate. One day, John had this horrible headache. They go to the ER, and he's got two tumors on his brain. They go in, they do surgery. I remember praying because we weren't sure. His brain swelled. And it looked like he wasn't going to make it. Well, he came through. He pulled through. But the radiation, the other stuff, the emergency surgery, he's not the same man that he was. And I'm not saying that he's like a simple guy now, but there's, there's definitely a change in what he's able to do. And so he's not able to work, period. Thank God they had a, a long-term disability policy. But they were going to travel Europe. They were going to do all these things. They have a modest income now. It's nothing like what they thought would play out for their lives, okay? Um, no, no, that's not the right slide. I want, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today to give back a, to God a portion of what he's given you because it shows that you trust him and it shows that you can be trusted with his stuff. 
And that's what I want to challenge you to do. And so if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to look at four different verses in Proverbs chapter 3. So Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs is about getting wisdom, okay? So if you have a teenager at home, this is a good book of the Bible to pay them to read, right? I will give you $50 if you read the book of Proverbs. That's a good deal, mom and dad, a good deal, okay? And then they have to have a conversation with you about what's in there, okay? So book of Proverbs is all about getting wisdom. A proverb is a shorthand for situations in life that occur on a regular basis. We have modern-day proverbs. Don't cry over spilt. In other words, forget the stuff in the past. Practice makes... Right, there's no shortcut for hard work. Beggars can't be... If you're in need of help, the person helping you gets to determine how it plays out. <laughs> okay? When the cat's away, without the boss there to enforce the rules, it's chaos. Okay? <laughs> In Proverbs chapter 3, we have some of these sayings for how life works, okay? So let's look at verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Stated another way, trust God, trust God that he knows how things ought to be, and, how, and, and be willing to stake your life on what God says. Don't lean on your own understanding. Leaning on your own understanding is like leaning on a broken crutch. Lean into God and how God says life ought to work. In all your ways, verse 6, uh, seek his will in all you do, in all you do relationally, in all you do with the decisions that you make about your job, in all you do financially, right? This is the implication of these verses, in all you do, okay? Stake your life on what, on God's ways is what is being said in these verses. So if we'll skip down to verses 9 and 10, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So he's talking about, this is the cultic offering thing I mentioned earlier, right? Give to God the first part of your revenue. In the olden days, thousands of years ago, they didn't have the Federal Reserve. They didn't have printed currency. They had grain. They had sheep. They had cattle. That was money. So when you were giving the first part of your grain, you were giving Money, the equivalent of money. So we don't, hopefully, you're not going to go to Toyota on Nicholasville today with a little sheep and try and negotiate with that salesman and say, eh, it's a good deal, okay? <laughs> okay? That salesman's going to want to see cash <laughs> or he's going to want to sell you a loan that is at a ridiculous interest rate, but we're going to talk about that next week, okay? So, so the first part, honor God with the first part. And the, the second little verse there is actually a promise the, the grain and grapes in other words god's saying look it wasn't your hard work that produced this bumper crop it was me i'm going to take care of you it's not you that's going to make it happen it's trusting me again it's a heart thing our natural inclination let's be honest our natural inclination is to put our well-being first and to get to it when we feel like we're secure and 
all throughout Scripture, God challenges people to exercise faith, which means trusting God when you're not exactly sure how it's all going to play out. That's Hebrews 11, that long list of people who had faith. Every single one of them took a step and did something when they weren't sure of the outcome. And that's true of you, and it's true of me. So giving back to God financially actually helps you to learn to trust God, and, and it shows God that you can be trusted with his stuff. So I want to ask a few questions, so if you can put my questions up here. The first question is really simple. Are you giving anything back to God right now? And if so, or if not, why not? What are you afraid of? Second question. If giving and being generous is attractive, in other words, it's better than being stingy, why would it bother you to give back some money to God and God's purposes? What's the holdup? Um, next question. Is your giving intentional or is it impulsive? Which would you rather it be? And then last question. Does your current financial situation enable you to follow God or does it have you over a barrel? Would you rather have God be a big part of your finances or a wee little part? Okay? So homework is really simple, and I'm going to challenge you to do something that some of you are going to be like, what? In this church? Yes. I'm actually going to challenge you to start giving financially. I really am. For those of you that don't, I want to suggest to you that you should start. And you should start, here's an easy place to start, 10%. Some of you are going to be like, that's so Old Testament, I know, because I'm not sure any of us can handle the New Testament because that's like generosity off the chart. That's like selling your house and giving it away, okay? So let's go back to where it's easier, okay? So, so you know, right? So I pick, I, I suggest 10% because it's 4,000 years old. It's 4,000 years old. It's before Jesus. It's before Moses. It's before the law, for those of you that are Baptists, okay? It's long before that. It's got a 4,000-year-old track record. The other reason I suggest starting with 10% is because it's easy math, okay? You don't need a calculator. If you made $100, 10% of that is $10, okay? 10% is really easy math. You don't need a calculator for it, hopefully, Okay, <laughs> okay. so I'm going to suggest that you start there. And here's a couple of caveats. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, uh, go back to my 10%. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, pff, this is just because Generations needs money. Let me assure you, last month, giving at Generations was 60% higher than any other October in the previous years, okay? It's not... So this isn't because generations needs money. And if, and if you're thinking that again today, I want you to, and, and, you're, and that's a barrier for you, when you make out your check, put Revive Ministries. Put it in the offering box. Put that in the memo section when you give online. We'll just pay it forward and send it off to the local organization that's trying to help people get off drug addiction. Okay? So I don't want there to be barriers. I want you to do this because of what it's going to do for you and how it's going to help you and change your heart, because that's the real issue. So some practical advice, all right? Here's my practical advice, and I'm stealing this from a guy named Wesley Wilmer. So for those of you that are Reformed, you're like, ah, Wesley's in his name, I don't know. No, it's some good advice, okay? It's some good advice. So, <laughs> so practical step number one, give to God first, all right? So if you're brand new to this, when you get paid, when your paycheck drops, 
that should be the first check or the first payment that you write. That's, that's good advice. I love the way Mike says, Mike says, when I wait till the end of the month, it's like I can never do it. So give to God first. Practical advice number two, give systematically. For those of you that are developing, uh, developing budgets and plans, make it part of your plan, okay? Uh, practical advice number three, give according to your means. I'm suggesting starting at 10%. If you're, you know, if you're single and you got kids, you know, you may not go much higher than that, okay? If you're like double income, no kids, I bet you could do better than 10%, okay? Give according to your means. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul's kind of coaching a church about giving according to their means. Practical advice number four, give regularly. If you're paid twice a month, give twice a month. If you're paid weekly, give weekly. Practical advice number five, give quietly. Let me explain a way that's not quiet. I had a guy once back when I was an executive pastor and he, uh, he sat me down one day for coffee and he explained to me how much he gave to the church and it was like 10% of the church's income. So it was, a, it was a sizable amount. And he was basically saying, I want you to change these three things. Now, you know, because after all, pff, I'm putting in a lot in that plate. Blah, 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 blah. Was he giving quietly? No. And so he had, he had just written a $1,200 check. Do you know what we did? We returned the check to him, okay? <laughs> okay, so give quietly, all right? Don't, don't make a big deal. Don't use it to kind of leverage things. And last but not least, advice number six, give with a proper attitude. If, if, you're, if it's out of guilt, if it's, you know, all that, this wrong attitude. It, it, we're commanded to do it out of love and with cheer. So here's what I want to suggest to you. And this is my next slide, my last one. Martin Luther was right. He's a guy who lived 500 years ago. In 2017, we're going to celebrate the 500th anniversary of Protestantism. And the sermon, I know, okay? (laughs) Yay, okay. (laughs) So when I get to the resurrected life, I am so pulling him aside and going, really, sermon? You came up with that. Okay, so... He said that the average person has three conversions. They get it in their head first, then their heart. The last thing to convert to God is their purse. And 500 years later, I think he's right. I think he's right. Um, Last week, uh, and, and I'll explain this. Last week, I shared how my parents were paycheck poor when I was growing up. Remember, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to make lots of money. See how that turned out? Okay. But they had old, beat-up cars all growing up. That's all I ever had was old, beat-up cars. And I resolved when I'm a grown-up, when I'm a real-world adult, when I'm making my own money, I'm not going to buy a cheesy car that the sides are falling off because it rusted out. I'm buying a brand-new car. So as irony would have it, around 1994, 1995, when Jenny and I started tithing for the first time, we also bought our first brand new car. It was a 1994 Saturn SL2. It was a beautiful car. I loved it. It glimmered. Oh, when you got in, no kids. No kids. I mean, it just had that smell, okay? Okay? And we had only had that car like two or three weeks, and I drove it up to Indiana where my parents lived at the time, and... We let my dad drive it to the mall, so we went to the mall in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and 
there are a couple of things. One, um, it, there was a big Indiana-Kentucky game that week, and I noticed in the parking lot there was a lot of red flags, and we had Kentucky tags. The other thing is, Dad pulled into this parking space, and there were these other people that wanted in the parking space, but he pulled in and did his little, <laughs> you know, I got it first. And when we came out from the mall, someone had keyed my driver's side door. And I had what I like to call a crapitude attack. A crapitude attack. It's not a very happy thing. It's not a positive thing. But I was like, scratch on the door. And dad, why did you cut that person off? And Jenny quietly rebuked me. And I've learned that over the last 20 some years, often the the voice of the Holy Spirit and my wife's voice, it's hard to tell them apart. Okay. All right. So, so she's like, that attitude is not godly. This car isn't even yours. You know, we just made this decision and we're giving and da, 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 da. Do you not, you trust God or not? I had a really bad attitude because I wanted that car to be perfect and, and, you know what I decided to do? My dad offered to pay to have the scratch removed. And I said, no, I want to leave it there. And the funny thing is, over 10 years, most of it buffed out. <laughs> it took about a decade, though. <laughs> okay? And I knew in that moment, I had a heart issue. I loved stuff more than my ability to... It had a hold on me that wasn't good. Okay? So a, a month or two after that... Um, our friends, Graham and Colleen, their car broke down, and he worked at the Lexington Airport. They lived in Wilmore, and they needed to borrow a car, and I knew the car that I need to lend them is the new car, and I did, and I remember Graham calling me later. He's like, what are you doing? That's your brand new car. You know, are you crazy? What if we wreck it? And I'm like, it's okay. It's insured, and it was steps I was taking so that stuff and my love of stuff and money wasn't getting in the way of me, like trying to be more like Jesus. So fast forward 15 years, and we had a bunch of kids over at the house, and they were playing, they were riding on bicycles, they were riding all over the neighborhood, and one of the kids that we had over that day um, went down the driveway of one of my neighbors who had bought, just bought that week, a brand new SUV gleaming white, beautiful. It was either a Cadillac Escalade or an Expedition. It was one of those behemoth cars. And this kid didn't have a rubber end on his, uh, oh, you know where this is going. Okay, so he didn't have a rubber end on his bar handle. And as he went down, it scratched. It was an inch and a half, okay? Woo, big deal. That guy went nuclear. This kid was 10 years old, 10 years old, went nuclear, you know, and then explicatives. I mean, it went like rated R fast, okay? And then the guy called the cops, okay, you know, 10 years old on a bicycle and it's an inch and a half scratch. Why? I talked to Jenny at the house. I was like, this is ridiculous. And she, she agreed. And we talked about it because we, we had an emergency fund and, and she was like, offer to pay for it. I don't care if it takes the whole thousand dollars. I mean, there's no way, even if they put a new door panel on. So I walk over to his house and I'm like, hi, Max, I'm your neighbor. Remember me? Yeah. Tell you what, you take your car anywhere you want. Here's my number. It's paid for. Done. Got it covered. Don't worry about it. Well, the anger started slowly going down. 
And I realized in that moment a couple of things. My first inclination, it wasn't even my kid. My kid wasn't the kid that scratched the car, but I was willing to empty my emergency fund, and I didn't bat an eye over it. Second thing I realized as I was standing there, I was like, that was me. That was me. I was like that. If God hadn't changed me, if God hadn't changed my heart, that would be me today. Can I tell you, it's never about the money. It's not about the money. It never is. It's about your heart. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16. This is the passage we were in last week. He says this, No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a heart thing. What I want for you is I want you to have a, a heart that's like David's, a heart that likes, that's like God. I want you to be able to be generous and not be afraid to be generous. That's what I want because when you're on the receiving end of that kind of generosity, you feel it and you're like, that's how life should be. And God is, through the gift of his Holy Spirit and through what Jesus Christ has done, enabling us to do that. that and it can change the world. But it starts with us, okay?